Welcome back to our study of the book of First Kings. We are looking today at First Kings chapter two, verses thirteen to twenty-seven, and we're picking up the story right after David's death. Remember, at the beginning of First Kings, David was an old man. He was given a woman named Abishag the Shunammite to lie in his arms to keep him warm because he was so old and frail. Uh, apparently there was no other way for him to, to be warm. He didn't know her, but he was given to her to lie in his arms, or she was given to him to lie in his arms. And then Adonijah set himself up as king. He had some powerful people on his side. But David had promised the kingdom to Solomon. And so when Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan came to David and made him aware of what was going on with Adonijah, he took matters into his hands anointed Solomon as the king, and all was set right. But not everything has yet been sorted out. Remember, Solomon spared Adonijah's life conditionally. At the end of chapter 1 and verse 52, Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So if he does what he's supposed to do, Solomon says, I'm not going to kill him. But if he acts wickedly, well, that's on him, right? So um, in the beginning of chapter 2, David gives some last words of advice to Solomon, gives him some practical matters to deal with, gives him counsel about how to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and so that his life will be blessed and so on. And then David dies. And then this is what we read happens next after David's death, verse 13. It says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, Speak. He said, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, Speak. And he said, Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Adonijah comes to Bathsheba, asking Bathsheba to make a request for him to King Solomon. Bathsheba is Solomon's mother, but not Adonijah's mother. Remember, David had more than one wife. It's not the way it should have been, but that's the way that it was. David had more than one wife. So Adonijah and Solomon were half-brothers. They had different mothers. And so Adonijah comes to Bathsheba, asking him to bring a request to King Solomon, hoping, hoping that if Bathsheba brings the request, that he won't say, that Solomon won't say no. And then it's interesting to see what Solomon, or excuse me, what Adonijah says about what has taken place with the kingdom um, that he tried to take for himself that ended up in Solomon's hands. Verse 15 says, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. So that's, that's part, at least part of how Adonijah sees these things. Uh, the kingdom was mine. It was in my grasp. It was in my hand. And all of Israel expected me to reign, presumably because, again, he was the oldest living brother, as far as we know. Um, two of the older sons of David, we know for sure, died. A third one just never gets mentioned again after we're told about him. And so we don't know if he died or just was not a 
not interested in the throne or what, we don't know. But um, Adonijah says, it was mine and everybody expected it to be mine. However, he says, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So this 180 has clearly taken place. One moment, Adonijah appeared to be the king. And then the next thing you knew, the kingdom belonged to Solomon. And he at least recognizes that that was from the Lord. It was God who gave the kingdom to Solomon. So that's something, right? Um, But then he asks, he makes this request of Bathsheba to take to Solomon. He says, give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Now, this again, this is the woman that had been given to David to lie in his arms and to keep him warm. Okay, now that might not raise any red flags right off the bat for us, but it does for Solomon as soon as he hears about it. So let's let's keep going. Verse 19 says, So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her and had a seat brought. Uh, excuse me, uh, then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. Now, before they get to the request and Solomon's response, let me point out one more thing here. Notice how Solomon treats his mother. God made very clear in the Ten Commandments, he told his people, you are to honor your father and your mother. And Solomon, even though he's become the king, does not see himself as being above honoring that command. Instead, um, he shows great honor to his mother. He bows down to her. He puts a seat in the throne room right next to his throne, especially for her. Not only that, it's on his right hand, which is the place of power and authority, a position of great significance. And so he abundantly honors his mother, even though he's now the king. And so that's worthy not only of note, but also of emulation. Then he says, uh, then um, picking up in verse 21, it says, Then uh, she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah your brother as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. So when this request comes before Solomon, he says, Adonijah is going to die for this request. What is it about this request that is so terrible? Well, notice what Solomon says. He says uh, in verse 22, Ask for him the kingdom also. In other words, if you're going to ask for him to have Abishag the Shunammite as a wife, why not just ask me to give him the whole kingdom? Uh, Now, why does he say that? Well, notice he says, already he's my older brother, right? So that presumably would make him uh, a likely candidate for king because he's the oldest. And he says, on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruiah. So you've got... He's got age on me, position on me. He's also got powerful people who are on his side, uh, Joab and Abiathar. And now he's asking for this woman who uh, was given to our father, the king, to now be given to him 
as a wife. And scholars have pointed out um, that one of the, like to take the wife or the concubine of a king as your own was uh, more or less tantamount to proclaiming yourself king, right? It's a terrible situation, but that's apparently um, how it worked, right? So, in other words, what they're saying is even though Abishag was not, uh, again, scholars point this out, I think, um, even though Abishag was not really his wife, uh, it still looks like Adonijah is being given sort of like a wife of the king, which would be another way of strengthening his position as a likely candidate to assume the throne instead of Solomon. And so Solomon sees this as a power play. Solomon sees this as an attempt by Adonijah to strengthen his hand uh, against Solomon. Whether he thought, you know, maybe Solomon won't last as king and I'll be in a better position to take over if I have Abishag as my wife. Or maybe he thought... You know, this is not all settled yet. Maybe I've still got a chance of the throne becoming mine. And this is one thing I can do to make my position against Solomon stronger. We don't know what Adonijah was thinking, but we know how Solomon saw it. He saw it as a as a power play, as an attempt um, to, at, the, at a minimum, strengthen his hand against Solomon and maybe ultimately to try to take the throne from Solomon, and so Solomon says, well, I said he could live if he did what was right, but now he needs to die. All right, Um, and so verse 24 says, Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. So, uh, Adonijah is put to death by Solomon's order. He's executed. But notice in verse 24 how Solomon views the situation. We saw how Adonijah viewed it earlier in verse 15. The kingdom was mine. Everybody expected me to reign. But now God has given it to Solomon. Solomon says in verse 24 that the Lord has established me and placed me on the throne of, my, of David my father. And he has made me a house as he promised. So he sees his position on the throne, what God has done for him, as the fulfillment of God's promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That huge promise we talked about, the Davidic covenant, God promised a son on David's throne who would reign forever, etc. And Solomon sees what God has done for him as at least a, a partial fulfillment of that promise. So Solomon has been put in this position by God. Adonijah has tried to grasp this position for himself. Now it appears he's tried to do that twice. And Solomon says, enough is enough. Adonijah is a dead man. And so he gets put to death. Now here's something that we can learn from this uh, rather bleak story in some ways. Adonijah, if uh, we assume that he was—he really was uh, trying to strengthen his position against Solomon, or maybe even take the throne. Um, then that means he was, by making this request, he thought Solomon wouldn't see through what he was trying to do, right? And if that's the case, then what this passage reminds us is. Um, that 
sometimes we can convince ourselves that we have cloaked our rebellion where nobody else can see it. We are not satisfied with the way God has set things up and we want to we want to make things turn out differently. And so we try to rebel in a quiet way or an underhanded way or um, a way that we don't think will be obvious to everybody and we think that we can get away with it. Like Adonijah apparently thought Solomon would go along with this. Uh, maybe he thought Solomon wasn't smart enough to see it or wouldn't recognize it. We don't know. We don't know what he was thinking. But it, it's easy for us um, to convince ourselves that nobody else knows what we're up to, that nobody else can see through our schemes that we have tried to carefully cloak. Um, but what this story warns us is that sometimes somebody is going to see through it. Sometimes somebody is going to see through the schemes or the lies or whatever it may be, and they're going to call us on it. And beyond that, even if nobody else sees through it, God always does. God sees the heart. God knows our thoughts. He knows every word we're going to say before we even say it. There's no way that we can hide our sin, which in one sense is a really scary thought, right? Because we're all sinners. Uh, Even as believers, we still have uh, this sinful nature that clings so closely to us and and there we are still guilty of sinning against God of shaking our fist at him rebelling against him at times being angry at the way he's doing things or or whatever um, we're not innocent and and pure right uh, on our own we are only clean and righteous through the blood of Christ we are only, uh, our lives are only spared because Jesus gave his life up for us. And so it's a warning to us um, not to try to hide our sin behind crafty schemes. Um, and it's also a reminder to us that we could be like Adonijah. Uh, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, and there's none of us who is who have never sinned. Um, but God has sent his son to take our place and die for us so that we can be forgiven and so that we can have life forever, which is an amazing thing. So um, uh, one more quick paragraph uh, about Abiathar. Verse 26 says, And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your estate, for you deserve death, but I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So now he moves to Abiathar the priest who had been associated with Adonijah and he says, look, you deserve to die. You go to your estate, your house, where you live. You deserve to die, but I'm not going to kill you for two reasons. One, because you carried the ark of the Lord, and that's no small thing. 
And number two, because you shared the sufferings of my father, David. Whenever he suffered, you suffered. And I'm, I'm going to honor that. I want to honor that. And so he doesn't put Abiathar to death, but he does expel him, and he's no longer allowed to serve as a priest. And so uh, verse 27 says that that um, sort of exile of Abiathar, that fulfilled the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. Uh, that goes all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. When we read of Eli and his sons who um, were sinful. And uh, God pronounced against Eli's house uh, this terrible judgment. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel 2. And what the writer of 1 Kings is saying here is all this time later, all this time later, that promise of judgment that God made is now being fulfilled. And uh, that's a reminder that God always keeps his word. Uh, um, God says uh, he's going to do something. He does it. And um, it may take a lot longer than we expect, um, but he will do it. That's true both of his promises about judgment and his promises of salvation. So um, one of the things this passage does is it, sh it shows us that Solomon's reign was not immediately solid and established. Uh, it was uh, a little dicey there at first, right? Adonijah was a, a real threat that had to be dealt with. He was uh, a clear, um, had, been, had been rebelling against God's uh, plan of um, establishing Solomon on the throne and appeared to be trying to undermine that again with his request of Abishag as a wife. And so um, he was put to death. Uh, Abiathar, who had conspired with Adonijah, uh, is not put to death, mercifully, um, but he is expelled from serving as a priest, and that fulfills a judgment spoken against um, an earlier uh, member of his family, I guess, uh, Eli and his whole household. And so um, one of the key things here, right, is that God is keeping his word. He's keeping his promise to David about putting his son on his throne. And he kept his word to Eli about the judgment that would come on his house. So uh, behind all of this, right, is the faithfulness of God. God is always at work. God is always keeping his promises. Um, and because we, for those of us who belong to Christ, um, that faithfulness and those promises are our anchor, right? That God has promised there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ, despite the fact that we are no less guilty than an Adonijah or an uh, Abiathar. Um, there's no condemnation for us because Christ has taken our condemnation. He's borne it in our place. Uh, he's died um, for our sin. He's risen from the dead. And we get to reign with him mercifully uh, because of his grace. We give him thanks for that. Amen.